This week on Geeksplained, to celebrate 900 issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, I'm counting down the nine essential Spider-Man comics. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is celebrating 900 issues of The Amazing Spider-Man. This week, for those of you not in the know, marks the release of Amazing Spider-Man number 900, which I believe is also Amazing Spider-Man number 6 in the Zeb Wells run so far, uh, which has been really cool. Uh, The numbering is whatever. It's a comics problem that we've had for a very long time, so... This is this issue that's going to be coming out this week that we'll get into a little bit later is both Amazing Spider-Man number six as well as Amazing Spider-Man number 900. So it is a festive time here on the podcast and thinking about 900 issues of Amazing Spider-Man, it got me thinking that's a lot of issues and for new readers or people wanting to get into Spider-Man comics, that might sound a little daunting. So this week, I am going to be counting down the nine essential Spider-Man stories. Stories that you can take in succession or in isolation and really just read to get you up to speed on where we're at right now with the Spider-Man character. This is going to be a comprehensive list. I can't see this being controversial whatsoever, so I am really excited to share this with you. Uh, We also have this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week, so make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that. Uh, Just a quick note here, I am recording this episode a little bit in advance, because as you are listening to this, as this episode drops, I will be in recovery for my surgery. So I am recording this a little bit in advance, and I'm doing the most heroic thing possible, throwing a hand grenade into Spider-Man discourse and then running away and being put under anesthesia. <laughs> so uh, that is what is going to be going on with me this week. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to share this list with you. I worked on this for a while. It was very difficult to narrow it down to nine comics, which means I also brought in some honorable mentions. So that is what's going on in this episode. And without further ado let's roll right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i count down the nine essential spider-man comics
Peter Parker, The Amazing Spider-Man, made his debut in Amazing Fantasy number 15 in 1962. And now, this week, as of this recording, 60 years later, Peter Parker is looking at 900 issues of the Amazing Spider-Man series. And to celebrate that, we are counting down the top nine essential Spider-Man comics. Because I thought to myself, what could possibly go wrong talking about essential Spider-Man comics? I mean, Spider-Man discourse is the most politely debated discourse in all of comic book discussion. So we are checking out nine comics, nine stories that I think you should check out if you want to get caught up, because 900 issues is nothing to sneeze at, right? 900 comics is a lot for people to catch up on. And if you're a new reader, if you're fairly new to Spider-Man comics, if you heard, oh man, it's 60 years of Spider-Man, I want to dive in and start reading their comics, 900 issues can be a very daunting challenge. So I compiled this list for new readers, for people wanting to refresh, and for people who wanted to take the character of Peter Parker from his inception all the way up to 900 issues later, and dive right in and find out what he's doing today. So there are a couple caveats with this. Uh, I did an episode very similar to this uh, last year for the top 10 essential Captain America comics. So if you want to check out my top 10 essential comics featuring the Star Spangled Avenger, go check that episode out. It meant a lot to me. Captain America uh, means the world to me as a character. And as I've grown older... I've gained a deeper appreciation for Spider-Man as a character, but what I established in that episode is very much what I'm going to be doing in this episode as well. Uh, this is a comprehensive list, in my opinion, of the nine comics that you can read from the origin of Spider-Man all the way up till today, and you will have gotten most of the character's major beats, bringing him all the way up to here in 2022. But, of course, because I am who I am and I believe no list worth its salt is an actual list without it, I do have some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions are the lifeblood of any good list because it gives you additional picks. Now, I am going to be talking about these comics with general spoiler-free discussion, right? I'm going to try and let you know, hey, this is the basic uh, premise of the book. This is what it's about. This is why it's important and why I chose it without giving you a play-by-play -play beat of everything that happens in it. And I do believe that if you start with my number one and you make it all the way to the number nine, you'll be able to have a comprehensive understanding of the character of Spider-Man and be able to jump into Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 900 slash Amazing Spider-Man number six because comics and be able to understand where the character's at, what the character's doing, and enjoy yourself as a Spider-Man comics reader. So before we get into the main list proper, let's talk about these five honorable mentions. These are five comics that can supplement this list. If you are going through and you read all nine of my picks for the essential Spider-Man comics, and you're like, I want to read more. I want to get into the nitty gritty. I want to take 
these different snapshots of comics that could enrich my understanding of Spider-Man and his comic book publication history. These are five comics that I do think you should check out if you want to do that. So the first on my list of honorable mentions is Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut from 1982. This is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1. That's very important. Uh, 229 and 230. It's a two-part story written by Roger Stern with art by John Romita Jr., and this is essentially what the uh, title says. It's Spider-Man versus the Juggernaut. Madam Webb has had a premonition that the Juggernaut is going to kill her. And as it so happens, the Juggernaut is making his way through Manhattan to get to Madam Webb. It's a wonderful two-parter about Spider-Man trying to stop the unstoppable. One of my favorite comics of all time spider-man or no and it's a comic that we actually spent some time on uh matt draper who is a regular guest on the podcast at this point uh he and i did an episode last year about the best spider-man short stories these are one shots two shots maybe sometimes even a three shot here and there that we think are the best and we covered this one in detail uh as a quick plug as well matt also just recently dropped an a video on youtube on his youtube channel just look up matt draper it's there he's wonderful subscribe to his youtube channel about unscheduled stop which is another amazing comic uh so go check that out and then read this as well uh number two or I guess just to give you a little bit more about Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut, it's a wonderful comic that shows you the lengths that Spider-Man is willing to go to save a life. I think it's an absolute banger of a comic, and you should definitely check this out. Number two is The Conversation from 2002. This is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, number 38, uh, written by J. Michael Straczynski with art by John Romita Jr. once again. Uh, the Conversation is a comic that I think transcended... Spider-Man at the time. This is the worst case slash best case scenario when it comes to Peter Parker and his superheroing adventures because the question, the comic asks the question, what if Aunt May found out Peter was Spider-Man? Except it's not a what if, it really happens in this continuity and in this comic. Aunt May finds out that Peter is Spider-Man, and in this issue, Amazing Spider-Man number 38, they hash it out. They talk it's why it's called The Conversation. It's a great, great comic. I absolutely think you should check it out. Uh, number three on honorable mentions, it's Spider-Man from 2012. This is Spider-Man number one through five. It was a limited series written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Sarah Pacelli. And this brought together two Spider-Men from two different worlds. This was the initial inspiration for Into the Spider-Verse. This was a heavily referenced comic in that film. And it brought together the 616 Peter Parker and the Earth's 1610 Miles Morales crossed over each other's Earths, found out what was going on in each other's lives, and it's just a great, great comic. The follow-up is not as good, but this first one, there's a certain magic to it, and if you are wanting to get into Spider-Man with all of the multiversal shenanigans that are going on uh, in the MCU and all of its adjacent media, this and the next one on this honorable mentions list is one that you should check out, that being, of course, Spider-Verse from 2014. Uh, the main meat of of the Spider-Verse event took place in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 3, number 9 through 15. 
It was written by Dan Slott with art by Olivier Coipel and Giuseppe Camoncoli. And this is the logical progression from Spider-Men. This is not just two Spider-Men. It's all the Spider-People. This brought in Ghost Spider, also known as Spider-Gwen. This brought in Spider-UK, Spider-Ham, and brought back my boy, the Superior Spider-Man, and put them up against the Inheritors, these life-essence-sucking vampire people who have traversed the multiverse to kill all of the spider people and absorb their life force. It's a great comic that I think really kind of set the groundwork for all of the multiversal shenanigans that we're seeing currently in the MCU, in other Marvel properties. Um, No Way Home took a lot from this as well as Spider-Man. Of course, Into the Spider-Verse would not be possible without the Spider-Verse comic. Uh, It's a great event, and it is obviously the end point of the beginning of Spider-Men, so I would definitely check that out. And then the final one in honorable mentions is is a much smaller scope when it comes to Spider-Man stories. This is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man from 2019. Uh, This was a uh, limited series, 14 issues. It's Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man from issue number one through number 14, uh, written by Tom Taylor with all art by Juan Cabal and Ken Lashley. And this was what if Spider-Man but street level, right? This is all of the street level stuff that he gets up to when he's not doing his big world-ending Spider-Man adventures. Uh, This included one of my favorite Spider-Man stories I've ever read, which is, of course, Spider-Bite, introducing the sidekick to Spider-Man. It's not what you think it is. Go read the series. And also has just... One of the best bookend stories in in the whole pantheon of Spider-Man comic series, I would say. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. It's only 14 issues, so it's not a whole lot. And it's a great modern Spider-Man story that you can take 14 issues. It's self-contained, and you can continue on his adventures. So I really enjoy all five of those honorable mentions. But again, all of these I feel, personally, are supplemental to this main list of nine essential Spider-Man comics. Now, one more quick disclaimer here. Uh, What I mean by essential is that these are comics that will give you the understanding that you need to move on to the next phase. So if you read number one, then you read number two, there is a progression, and so on and so forth. Doesn't always mean that they're the best comics, but they are the ones that have hit Spider-Man where he lives, and are comics that are always referenced, comics that if you mention them to someone who is Spider-Man expert all the way down to your layman Spider-Man reader. They know what you're talking about. And also, because we are diving in and this list is basically here to supplement the release of Amazing Spider-Man number 900, all of these comics are essential to 616 Spider-Man. What does that mean? That means that anything that is not pertaining to Spider-Man's current status quo in the 616, the main Marvel Universe specifically, won't be on this list. So I'll let you know right now, Ultimate Spider-Man is not on this list. Not because it's not a good comic, because it ultimately is. I didn't even mean to make that pod, but it is. It's an amazing comic. We've been covering it in the book club, and we'll return to it once the Days of Thunder are done. But it's not 
essential to modern 616 Spidey as Peter Parker is right now. So that is one that also would be on the honorable mentions, obviously, but it's not a 616 Peter story, so it's not essential for your understanding of the character. So a lot of caveats out of the way. Let's dive into this story. Let's dive into the story of Spider-Man from his first appearance to his most recent appearance, the nine essential Spider-Man stories. This kicks off with number one, what I call the Golden Age. This is written by Stanley and Steve Ditko with art by Stanley and Steve Ditko and comprises Amazing Fantasy number 15 as well as Amazing Spider-Man volume 1 number 1 through 33. There are a couple instances on this list where two stories run so closely together that I just compiled them into one bullet point and that is due to the fact that there are so many stories that are so good for Spider man that almost happened right on top of each other that i found it was easier to just compile them into one but what this first point does what this first point of origin does is give you the origin of spider-man amazing fantasy 15 released in 1962 gave us the introduction of peter parker the amazing spider-man and then led into the amazing spider-man series and the first 33 issues are comic book perfection uh written and illustrated by stanley and steve ditko um this is your essential early days uh spidey who is still full of growing pains he's in high school he's a nerd he's getting bullied he's learning how to be a superhero he's learning that with great power you know there must also come great responsibility all of the lessons that he now knows are lessons that he learns in these first 33 issues uh this establishes peter parker as a character also establishes his supporting cast we're talking aunt may we're talking mary jane we're talking gwen stacy we're talking flash thompson harry osborne all of the people and also establishes his rogues gallery all almost all of his most well-known villains are established within these first 33 issues way back in the early 1960s which tells you not just about how strong of characters that these villains were but also the staying power of them right like you could look at a character like i mentioned earlier morlin and his inheritors and you can say yeah those are like iconic spidey uh those are iconic spider-man villains but they're not like you can't run up on a normal person in the street and you shouldn't just in general but you can't come to a random person and say hey who's morlin but you can come to a person and say, who's the Green Goblin? Who's Dr. Octopus? And they'll know because they were established in this heavy hitter golden age of Spider-Man. Uh, this is also a great passage of time story. We catch up with Peter. He's still in high school. He gets, you know, his spider powers. He's Spider-Man for a little bit. He ends up graduating high school. We see him entering college near the end of this process. And it's just cool to see characters grow and change. It's a process that we don't get a whole lot of in comics, and I enjoy it a lot. So this is definitely one that I absolutely believe that you need to start with if you're trying to get the essential Spider-Man. And also, because the last arc of this series if is If This Be My Destiny, which is quintessential Spider-Man. It is almost a perfect Spider-Man story, if not the perfect Spider-Man story. And 
with this first 33 uh, issue arc, this is what you're going to get. This is pure Spider-Man through and through, and it is the best place to start reading Spider-Man comics. Which brings us to number two, which is The Night That Gwen Stacy Died. Uh, this is written by Jerry Conway with art by Gil Kane and took place in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, Issues 121 and 122. This was the end of an era. Now, I believe wholeheartedly that you should absolutely read the entirety of the Stan Lee Spider-Man epic. However, if you jump from this, you know, the first 33 issues, and you are able to get an understanding of who these characters are, what they mean to Peter Parker, this one will still hit you just as hard. Uh, Because this was the end of an era with Spider-Man. Gwen Stacy, who was established near the end of the initial Lee and Ditko run, had become such a mainstay in the iconography of Spider-Man. She was Spider-Man's girl. And having her obviously, as you can tell from the title of this, die in this way and with the involvement of the Green Goblin was just insane at the time. If you aren't aware of the, you know, backstage stories behind this, um, initially they were going to kill Aunt May with this story. They knew somebody had to die. And so they were initially going to kill Aunt May, and then they were like, no, Aunt May's been dying for years. We Killing her is not going to change the status quo. So ultimately, the decision came, let's kill Gwen Stacy, because she was a huge part of Spider-Man's mythos, and this would shock the reader's base. And it did. Uh, Spidey and the Goblin have this climactic battle that ends up in the death of one more person, not just Gwen Stacy. And having this story kind of be the big, at the time, Silver Age moment of character death, things changed after this, right? A lot of comics historians, not all, but a lot of comics historians cite the end of the Silver Age with the death of Gwen Stacy. And though the dates might not super line up, I would be inclined to agree because this was when things changed. This was when character deaths became this sensationalist thing for comic books. This is when it became, oh, we want to shake up the reader base. We want to get more eyes on our comic. We got to kill an important character. And the fact that Gwen Stacy more or less stayed dead up until today, probably, uh, is... Iconic, and it is something that makes this become more important as the time goes on. But the best thing about this for many comic book readers was that this story also featured the rebirth of Mary Jane Watson. Up till this point, Mary Jane had been the party girl. She was the cool girl. She was the sometimes uh, love interest of, of Peter Parker, who caused the big love triangle that... Spider-Man comics coasted on for a very long time, but this was the story that changed that character. This was the story that, because Jerry Conway felt very strongly about Mary Jane Watson as a character, this was what changed for her. This was what turned her into the character that we know and love today. Yes, absolutely, she's still the life of the party, but she's more than that. She has depth, she has pathos, and this story is where that started. So I would absolutely recommend this. It is one of the most important moments of Spider-Man's comic book history, and 
It's one of the most important moments in Spider-Man's publication history as well. So this is one that you absolutely should not miss. Now, number three, we come to the Alien Costume Saga slash The Birth of Venom. Now, this is again one of those stories that are too linked together to not put them together. Uh, the initial Alien Costume Saga was written by Tom DeFalco, Roger Stern, and Louis Simonson, while the Birth of Venom story was written by David Michelini. The artists on this story for uh, Alien Costume Saga were Ron Friends and Greg LaRocque, while the Birth of Venom was Todd McFarlane. This took place in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 252 through 259, as well as Web of Spider-Man number 1, and then also for The Birth of Venom was Amazing Spider-Man 298 through 300. So this was a turning point for Spider-Man. Now, this is a turning point in many ways, not just the fact that, oh, he got a cool new costume, what it, but it was the start of Spider-Man's more cosmic adventures, right? Which brings us to Secret Wars. It was the big old comic book events basically brought on by a toy company. And in that story, Spider-Man was transported with many other heroes and villains to Battle World and forced to war in secret against each other. And what happened was, during this conflict, Spider-Man found this suit replication machine that gave him this sleek black suit and in this story he comes back and he learns about the suit itself that it's not just fabric it is an alien organism and that might not be a great thing and this whole idea of him suddenly getting this suit that can do just as much as he can makes a solution for his you know, sometimes I get burned out because superheroing is hard into a problem because, uh-oh, this thing's a symbiote. Uh, which leads us, of course, to the birth of Venom. And in that initial Venom story, we're introduced to Eddie Brock, why this character hates Spider-Man, is covered in both of these stories. And what this ultimately becomes is a story about Spidey's greatest challenge, which is himself. In both the Alien Costume Saga as well as Venom, it is Spidey... It is Spidey Man. <laughs> it is Spidey versus the internal. He is Spider-Man versus Spider-Man, whether it's in the Alien Costume Saga itself, while he is trying to battle with the ever-changing mentality that he is seeing in himself, the shift in personality because of the influence of the symbiote, or whether, whether it's in The Birth of Venom, where he's just literally fighting an evil version of himself that is bigger, badder, and a little bit more toothy. Now, this... This was a story that I initially didn't know how I felt about putting it on this list, but with all of the stuff that you do get with Spider-Man's later stories, and another point that I'm going to be making in one of the uh, one of the stories on this list a little bit later, this is one that I absolutely do think is essential and should be on the list. Next up, we have possibly Spider-Man's darkest chapter, which is Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, written by J.M.D. Mateus with art by Mike Zeck. This took place in Web of Spider-Man number 31 and 32. Amazing Spider-Man volume 1 number 293 and 294. And Spectacular Spider-Man number 131 and 132. 
Now, this story puts a spotlight on Craven the Hunter and Vermin, two characters who could not be more polar opposites. Craven the Hunter is this well-established man, Sergei Cravenoff, who is this world-renowned big-game hunter who has decided that the most dangerous game is, in fact, the Spider-Man, while Vermin is a sick, nasty little guy. He is a dang-ass freak, crawling around in the sewers and eating people and small animals. Now, what this what this story does is not just show, obviously, Craven's darkest hour, but also Spider-Man's darkest hour. In this fearful symmetry of our main characters, we see Spider-Man grappling with his dual identity, with him starting to get a little jaded about his time as a superhero, just as Kraven decides my final hunt will be showing that I can be the better Spider-Man. So we see uh, Craven subdue Spidey, go out in his own Spider-Man costume to prove himself the better Spider-Man, the superior Spider-Man, if you will. And what this story accomplishes in this saga of death and rebirth is showing the showing the ugliness of human beings while also showing the innocence of animals. And that's ultimately what you want in a Craven the Hunter story. You want to see how monstrous people can be and how ultimately Spider-Man will fight against that. But the idea that Spider-Man ultimately loses in this story perhaps, is a possibility that not a lot of people expect going into a Spider-Man story. Um, this also has one of the most haunting endings in a Spider-Man comic just in general, and is something that will stick with you after you've read it for the first time. So we go from the alien costume into this really dark period. And the dark trilogy, I would say, or really, I mean quadrilogy, if you want to count the night that Gwen Stacy died, continues in our fifth essential comic, which is, of course, you knew we were going to get here, the Clone Saga. Fresh off of his absolute, just mind-bending confrontation with Craven, you dive into now the clone saga helmed by Terry Cavanaugh, Joey Cav Cavalieri, Todd DeZago, James DeMuteis, and Tom DeFalco on writing duties, Mark Bagley, Tom Lyle, Derek Robertson, and so many more artists. This took place in too many books. I'm not going to list them all because there is just too many. This once, at one point, Small in scope story blew up into this gigantic odyssey of Spider-Man comics. If you just check out, if you look up Spider-Man Clone Saga, you will find collected editions that have everything. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, where we get to a caveat that I mentioned earlier in this podcast, which is this list is the top nine essential Spider-Man comics. This was not the top nine best Spider-Man comics because this and the next story here are not what I would necessarily call amazing stories to uh, take a beat from Spider-Man himself. Uh, this is not a great story. However, 
to understand the status quo of Spider-Man, to understand everything that he's gone through, I do think that it is essential. This was the Spider-Man story of the 90s. And you can argue Maximum Carnage, Venom, all this stuff, but ultimately what it comes down to, what people talk about, is the Clone Saga. Whether it's in a positive way or mostly a negative way, this is a story that people will come back to again and again and again. Because this story introduced us to the man, the myth, the legend, Ben Riley, who, while initially believed to be the clone from the original clone saga featuring the Jackal, comes to Peter Parker's life and drops the bombshell that he's actually the real Peter Parker, and our Peter Parker has been a clone the entire time. Now, is this the truth? What happens next? You're just gonna have to read this, and you're gonna have to read a lot, because this story is a wicked web that has been weaved by these creators. Uh, It goes places that you don't expect, probably don't want either, but at the end, this is a chapter of Spider-Man's life that you absolutely cannot skip. Because even though you might want to, there are going to be things that are referenced. There are going to be characters that are referenced. There are going to be events that are referenced that took place in this story that if you don't have at least a passing knowledge of, you are going to be lost. It's just going to happen. Also, it's worth it for Ben Riley. Ben Riley's the best. Uh, so I do really think, especially if you're looking at just a snapshot of 90s Spider-Man, this is one that you are going to want to check out for sure. And now we come to the next slot on this Nine Essential Spider-Man's list. Number six is both a good and a bad one. This is also run together one more day slash brand new day. This was written by J. Michael Straczynski, Dan Slott, Mark Guggenheim, Bob Gale, and Zeb Wells, with art by Joe Casada, Steve McNiven, Salvador LaRocca, Phil Jimenez, Chris Bacalo, Martin... Marcos Martin and Barry Kitson. Uh, One More Day took place in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 544 through 545, and Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man Volume 1, number 24, and Sensational Spider-Man Volume 2, number 41. Brand New Day took place in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 546, all the way through 647. And ultimately, what this story does, especially more leaning towards One More Day, is set out to prove that controversy creates cool comics. It is a lesson that we continue to have to learn, whether we like it or not, and This story, at least we'll talk about one more day first, does focus on Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. This is, as as much as people bag on the story for what it does, for the status quo reset that it features, it is actually a good Spider-Man and Mary Jane story. I recognize that it's not beloved, and nor should it be, because they messed with something. They, They tried to fix something that wasn't broken. However... This is one of those stories that you have to look at the characters, the character moments, the character uh, decisions, and this is as true to Peter Parker and Mary Jane as it gets, right? So what happens, essentially, to kick this whole thing off is that civil war happens. Spider-Man is 
dragged kicking and screaming into this conflict between Iron Man and Captain America over registration and ultimately reveals his identity to the world during the conflict. Following the conclusion of Civil War where he ended up switching sides to Cap and ended up being on the losing side and going underground with the other secret Avengers, Aunt May is shot because... Everyone knows Peter Parker now and looks at his connections. Aunt May is shot in a failed assassination attempt on Peter Parker. And so she has, as the title suggests, one more day to live. Peter and Mary Jane are unable to find help, which brings them to the doorstep unintentionally of Mephisto, who promises that he can cure Aunt May of her ailment and make sure that the old broad lives much longer than just one more day, if only they trade their marriage, their entire relationship, wiped from history, all their future days to come, completely taken off the board peter and mary jane take some time they spend what time they have left before deciding you know what we are going to do this and we are going to trade our marriage for the life of aunt may it's tragic it's heartbreaking and ultimately it gave us a whole new status quo and though it was what many people deem an unnecessary back to basics fresh start it gave way to an amazing era of Spider-Man comics, that being the brand new day era, where for an entire year, the weekly challenge became, let's do every single week an amazing Spider-Man issue, taking us from 546 to 647, 52 weeks unbroken, they just pumped out Spider-Man comics. And the way that they did that was, as you could tell from the creator lineup, Different creators, very similarly to the most recent uh, Beyond era where we had rotating comics teams, that is the approach that was born with Brand New Day, just for much longer, and it was better, just in general, I'm sorry. Uh, I've loved the Beyond era, but it's, you know, it's over now, and it did not end the way that I would have liked, so Brand New Day is still the gold standard for the weekly Spider-Man challenge. Now... The thing that is so good about Brand New Day is that this was, for many, like I said, unnecessarily a back-to-basics approach to Spider-Man. He was single, he was poor, he was having a rough time, and he was in New York doing his Spider-Man thing. This reset a lot of characters for him. Aunt May was back to being healthy, but also doting on him without knowledge of him being Spider-Man. Harry Osborn was alive again. All of these status quo changes were reset back to an era that, you know, Marvel wanted because Joe Quesada decided, I don't like this. I don't like Married Spider-Man. It's a hassle and I don't want to deal with it anymore. But this brand new day era where I would say modern Spidey starts, you can, if you want to just get the essential, like the basic stuff, the basic story without really getting a whole lot of context, you could start with Brand New Day and go up till today. And there are going to be some things that change and don't make sense to you, but you will get a through line into what Spider-Man status quo is because this directly leads into big time with Dan Slott and his era of Spider-Man comics. Um, 
this is a great, great follow-up to a story that is incredibly controversial. But I love me that Brand New Day era. I thought it was a wild thing to try. And it is genuinely one of the best times to be reading Spider-Man. Not all of the stories are winners, but... You had stories in here like Unscheduled Stop, like No One Dies, all of these incredible Spider-Man stories that are usually just one to two issue stories. So if you're looking for Spider-Man stories that you don't have to commit a lot of time to, I know 52 issues sounds like a lot, but really it's just a collection of short stories to get you into modern spider-man so this is one that i do think is absolutely essential which takes us into the dan slot era and our number seven pick on the essential spider-man's list which is dying wish slash the superior spider-man Written by Dan Slott, with art by Ryan Stegman, Umberto Ramos, and Giuseppe Comancoli, this took place in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 698 through 700, as well as Superior Spider-Man, number 1 through 31. Now, I have said a lot of things. A lot of things on this podcast. We're over 200 episodes. However, one thing that I will continue to say is that I love the Superior Spider-Man. It is... What got me back into Spider-Man comics after taking some time off with Spidey? And it's one of, if not my favorite Spider-Man runs of all time. Uh, This story at its heart is about Otto Octavius and Peter Parker. In Dying Wish, Otto Octavius is dying because he's a normal guy who's been kicked the shit out of by superheroes on a regular basis for years. And so he hatches this plot to take over Spider-Man's life and succeeds in doing so. Which means that Peter Parker dies and... The superior Spider-Man lives. Otto Octavius' mind is transplanted into Peter Parker's body, which kicks off a whole new era of Spider-Man comics, and we get this all-new Spider-Man who is not necessarily 100% a hero. I loved this story because it truly takes you on that journey of learning just how much responsibility comes with great power. This is just like the Golden Age of Spider-Man, those first 33 issues, Technically, 33 issues of, 34 issues, I guess, of Spider-Man learning how to be a superhero. Now, it is, and of course, once again, centers around Doc Ock, which is what any good Spider-Man story should. This Spider-Man series also introduces us to, quite possibly, my favorite Spider-Man love interest. She's, like, right just under Gwen Stacy, Anna Maria Marconi, who is incredible, dynamic, and is one of the shining lights in Dan Slott's character creation suite. Um, I love the relationship between Anna Maria Marconi and, and Otto. I think it's incredibly sweet. The fact that it is still referenced today is just wonderful. Um, it's a story about redemption as well as the downfall of heroism and villainy. And the whole story culminates in a way that you don't expect if you are reading it for the first time, but also in a way that makes the most sense. It's a story that ultimately is a Greek tragedy on someone who wanted to do the best that he could. And it puts this spotlight on what it means to be a hero, which is what any good Spider-Man story should do 
do. It should teach the reader about heroism, about what it takes to be a hero, and that sometimes sacrifices are need to be made for the greater good. So I love this story. It is something that I have spent years on this podcast and off this podcast shouting into the ether about I actually did a full-on episode way 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 back back when the uh, episode count for this podcast was in just the double digits about this this was more or less the first geek explained the spotlight that I ever did was on superior spider-man so if you want my full thoughts as well as uh if you want to go listen at how bad the audio quality of this podcast once was, go back in the archives, check out my Superior Spider-Man uh, coverage. It is, uh, it's still a great story. I wouldn't mind revisiting it with a modern lens, especially because there's been a second Superior Spider-Man series that I have been dying to talk about on this podcast. It's a it's a comic that I love. It's a comic that's near and dear to my heart. It's one of my f- probably top 10 comics of all time. So, of course, it had to be on the Essential Spider-Man list. As we are rounding things out, though, the end of the Dan Slott era of Spider-Man comes to us with number eight, Go Down Swinging. Written by Dan Slott, art by Stuart Eminem, Giuseppe Comancoli, Umberto Ramos, Nick Bradshaw, and Marcos Martin. This took place in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 797 through 801. This is five comics, five issues, in which Dan Slott says goodbye to Spider-Man. Now, Dan Slott has gotten a lot of shit from a lot of comic book readers. Sometimes well-deserved, sometimes not so much. But I can tell you right up front, Dan Slott loves Spider-Man as a character. He loves the idea of him. Whether or not his view of the character lines up with my view or with your view, that's not what we're discussing here. Dan Slott loves Spider-Man. He loves this character to death. And... Maybe I shouldn't say that, considering just how much death there is in this uh, in his whole tenure as Spider-Man. But Dan Slott spent so much time on this character, right? He was on from basically all of the 2010s, um, whether or not he was part of the brand new day whether or not he was the main spider-man writer this guy took peter parker places that he had never been before and was able to wrap it all with a bow by putting spider-man up against his arch nemesis the red goblin the red goblin you say wait a second who's the red goblin well it's norman osborne who has taken the carnage symbiote and has decided We're going scorched earth. Everything that Peter Parker loves dies. So I just, oh man, it is a wild, wild story. And this also is the swan song for a character that Dan Slott gave a whole new life to during his tenure on the character, Eugene Flash Thompson. Flash Thompson is a character that I have loved because of Dan Slott. He brought back Flash Thompson and gave him a whole new status quo during the Brand New Day era by making him a war vet who lost his legs and turning him into Agent Venom. And in this story, we see Flash Thompson's finest hour. So I absolutely love this. And of course, 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention There For You. There For You is a comic that I hold near and dear to my heart as someone who hasn't always loved Spider-Man as a character. Uh, As I said earlier, I have grown, my appreciation for the character has grown as I've gotten older. I was never like the Spider-Man guy growing up. I was always a Superman, a Captain America guy. And as I've grown older and I've started to go back and read some of his stories and even, you know, kept up with his comics nowadays, I find myself loving Spider-Man more and more and more. And this issue, number 801, There For You by Dan Slott and Marcos Martin, is as much of a love letter to Spider-Man and the perfect finale to a creative team's run on the character as you will find. Period. Bar none. Because it's a story not about Peter Parker, not specifically about some world-ending threat, but it's about how much this character means to the person who's writing him. And very rarely do we ever get a window into the mind of a creator who is writing a big two comic like we do with this issue. You should go out of your way just to read this issue. In fact, we covered it in that uh, Best Spider-Man Short Stories episode that I did with Matt Draper. We go in-depth on this issue and why it's such a perfect finale to Dan Slott's time on the comic. Um, it's, it's a damn near perfect Spider-Man story. I love this whole big bombastic ending to Dan Slott's uh, tenure with the character with Go Down Swinging. And then you get this beautiful little coda at the end. Go Down Swinging is this wonderful culmination of literally everything that Dan Slott had done up to this point. And then to have that be this triumphant, this climactic uh, ending to everything that he had planned the seeds for prior. And then having this little you know, goodbye to the character to wrap up his story before Nick Spencer took the character on was just incredible. And I love it. I love this story. But that brings us to number nine, our final stop on the essential Spider-Man comics that will bring you up to speed on the 616 Peter Parker in Amazing Spider-Man number 900, World Without Love. Written by Zeb Wells, art by John Romita Jr. This is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Issues 1 through 5, and it's right here, right now, where we are with the Amazing Spider-Man. This is the current ongoing story, the current ongoing team, and it just wrapped its first arc, which featured my boy, Tombstone. I love when Spider-Man goes up against the mob. If this is your first uh, time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast, I have been ranting and raving about this story ever since the first issue came out. I was very unhappy with how Beyond ended, and I wasn't super thrilled about them taking Spider-Man in a different direction, but every single issue of this initial five-issue arc has been amazing and has just been getting better and better and better and better, and... This taking Spidey back to basics once again in a very similar way as Brand New Day and putting him up against the mob, having him fight street level crime, showing the connections that he has while he's at his lowest personally is something that speaks to me as a 
essential uh, quality of the character. Uh, there's also an underlying mystery to the story, like how did we get to the status quo? Because things were very different when the Beyond era ended for Peter Parker and his supporting cast. And so there's a lot of, wait, what's happening? Is there more One More Day shenanigans happening? We don't quite know. But what we do know is that Tombstone is our main antagonist. Spider-Man is backed up against the wall. The Parker luck is in full effect. And to me, that sounds like the recipe for a wonderful Spider-Man story. But that does it for the nine essential Spider-Man stories. If you read all nine of these, plus the, uh, plus the supplemental honorable mentions, you will get the full story of Spider-Man. Did I include every single Spider-Man story? No, because that's a lot. That's 60 years of comics. And if you want to, hopefully this is a, just a starting point. From here, you can jump into stories that I didn't mention and find favorites of your own. This is, once again, and what I personally feel is the nine essential comics that'll bring you from his first appearance in Amazing Fantasy 15 all the way up to now with the Zepp Wells John Romita Jr. run. The character's been through a lot. The character uh, has gone through it. And knowing Peter Parker, he's going to continue to go through it. But... 60 years and 900 issues is nothing to sneeze at. And honestly, that's really what this is all about. This is a celebration of Spider-Man comics. And whether you jumped on at any point in those 60 years or you're just jumping on now, there has never been a better time to be a fan of Spider-Man. So to wrap this whole thing up, happy birthday, Spidey. Congratulations on 900 issues, and uh, keep thwepping. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at a local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And there were quite a few contenders last week but honestly the one that won out for me was do a power bomb number two written and illustrated by daniel warren johnson uh this book is just singing it is doing all the right things for me i love this the last page reveal was something i called in the probably first few pages of reading issue one but i'm really excited they went that direction and i cannot wait to see where else the story goes but that's last week's books. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into this list. Kicking things off with Ant-Man number one. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Tom Riley, and this is celebrating 60 years of the Ant-Man. I'm really excited about this. Ever since they announced this, I love this team. Al Ewing is one of the best comics writers going right now, and Tom Riley is one of the best comics artists going on right now. So I'm very excited about this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. 
flash back to the early days of Hank Pym's career as the astonishing Ant-Man. It's date night for Hank and his girlfriend Janet Van Dyne, but nobody told that to Ant-Man's enemies. Watch as Hank's antagonists band together to finally take down the scientific adventurer. But will anyone come to his rescue? And who is the mysterious stranger who stalks him? Join Al Ewing and Tom Riley as they explore the history of every hero past, present, and future called Ant-Man. So yeah, that sounds really interesting. This is going to be, I think, every single issue, because there's four of them, focusing on a different Ant-Man. The last one's going to be the future Ant-Man. So I'm very excited about this. Should be a good time. Next up, we have Strange number four. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Marcelo Ferreira. I have been really enjoying this book. I think it's been really, really good. I've been really enjoying it. I love Clea as the Sorcerer Supreme, the Sorceress Supreme, whatever you want to call it. I loved her showing up in Hellfire Gala, too. That was really cool. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Family Reunion. Clea's mother, Umar, has come to visit, just as the Blasphemy Cartel launched their latest attack on the Sanctum Sanctorum. And this time, they brought an unlikely foe to take down the Sorcerer Supreme, reintroducing the Dark Moon Knight, Shadow Knight. So yeah, I know very little about Shadow Knight. I just know that he's basically Evil Moon Knight. So I'm going to be interested to see how this story goes. Next up, we have Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number three. This is written by Tochi Onyabuchi with art by Arby Silva. This book rules. I really, really dug the first two issues of this, and I cannot wait to pick up this issue. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. On trial in Latveria. Sam Wilson's hunt for the source of a vibranium smuggling ring lands him in hot water with the one and only Dr. Doom. Can Captain America escape Latveria with his life? And what dangerous secret has the Falcon Walking Taurus stumbled across in his own hometown? So yeah, this sounds really cool. I love the idea of putting Sam up against Doom. This should be a good time. Next up, we have the variants number two. This is written by Gail Simone with art by Phil Noto, and I loved this book. I loved the first issue, and I'm very excited to see where this mystery takes us. I've been missing having Jessica Jones as the lead of a book, and I think this is scratching all the right itches. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Jessica Jones is experiencing terrifying blackouts and leaving chaos and pain in her wake. But will the latest effects of her missing time leave her on the wrong side of the law and her own family? Meanwhile, the mysterious variants arrive, and Jessica fears for her own sanity. I'm interested to see if they just keep the variants that were introduced in the first issue, or if we're going to be getting more, because that sounds bonkers. So this should be a really good time. Next up, we have the start of a brand new era. This is Detective Comics number 1062, written by Rom V and Simon Spurrier, with art by Raphael Albuquerque and Danny. And this is marking a brand new age of Detective Comics, a new logo box, new artist, new writer. This is a whole new changing of the guard, and I am cautious because I love all of these creators, especially Raphael Albuquerque, but I really did like the Mariko Tamaki era of Detective Comics. So we'll see if this wins me over, but I'm, I'm sure that it's going to do pretty well for itself. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Gotham Nocturne, part one of four. 
It's a new era for the detective of the night as we introduce award-winning new series writer Rom V and artist extraordinaire Raphael Albuquerque. Together, they'll be turning Gotham into a tragic yet beautiful gothic opera for our eyes and ears to feast on. Something is terribly wrong with Batman. No matter the tests Bruce takes, nor the numbers he counts, the greatest detective in the world can't pin down the source of this creeping dread, of his own inner demons and a looming mortality. Meanwhile, real demons roam the shadows as an ancient melody haunts the Gotham night. Here now the curtains rise, and as the eerie tune streams in, who is human, who is demon, and who's to tell? As Batman investigates the songs and the demons of Gotham, he is forced to confront the oldest question, whether there has been a demon within him all along, and if so, what does it want, and why hasn't it taken over yet? So this sounds like this is going to get very existential. So I am very interested. I'm not... So I I vibe with Rom V, and then sometimes I don't vibe with Rom V. Um, I'm kind of hit or miss with his writing, but I am interested to see his take on Batman. I love Albuquerque's art, and I'm interested to see what this Spurrier and Danny uh, backup is going to be. Next up... The big one, Amazing Spider-Man number six, which is also Legacy number 900. Uh, this is written by Zeb Wells with art by Ed McGinnis. We're going to see. We're going to see what happens. There's a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Landmark issue 900. The 900th issue of Amazing Spider-Man comes out the month of Spider-Man's 60th anniversary, and we are pulling out all the stops. Someone from Spider-Man's past has captured the Sinister Six and used them to create the truly terrifying Sinister Adaptoid. A being equipped with the abilities of Spidey's greatest foes, Dr. Octopus, Vulture, Raven the Hunter, Electro, Mysterio, and Sandman. This is one of the biggest adventures in Spider history, and you will not believe the ending. So we'll see. I always enjoy getting those uh, super adaptoid stories, but we'll see how it does with Spider-Man. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely pick up, is Superman Space Age number one. Written by Mark Russell, art by Michael Allred, this I have been waiting for for a good long while. Uh, this is going to be great. I cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. After years of standing idle, the young man from Krypton defies the wishes of his fathers to come out to the world as the first hero of the space age. As each decade passes and each new danger emerges, he wonders if this is the one that will kill him and everyone he loves. Superman realizes that even good intentions are not without their backlash, as the world around him transforms into a place as determined to destroy itself as he is to save it. So, here's the thing. Okay, I am very excited about this creative team. I don't know how many issues this is going to be. This is a black label book, so it's bound to be between three and 12 issues. But I did not realize that from this uh, solicitation, it sounds like this is basically going to be Superman life story, which if you have not already listened to the Spider-Man Life Story episode we did for the podcast, I cried just recording that episode. So I don't know what this book is going to do to me if that's the case. But I'm very excited about this. I can't wait to see what Russell and the All Reds bring to this book. 
it's going to be incredible. So that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Ant-Man number one, Strange number four, Captain America, Symbol of Truth number three, The Variants number two, Detective Comics number 1062, The Amazing Spider-Man number six slash 900, and Superman Space Age number one. This is going to be a week where I am not going to be able to get to my my shop right away, and that absolutely crushes me because this is going to be an incredible week of comics and that is going to bring us to the wrap up if this is your first time joining us on the geek explained podcast and you like what i do here feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice we drop new episodes every single wednesday and honestly ratings reviews and especially subscriptions really does help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you and if you give us a five-star rating and review on itunes apple Podcasts whatever you want to call it i will read your review here live on the podcast you can write whatever you want i will be forced to read it as long as you give us those five stars the sky is the limit and you'll be able to join the likes of our red 13 including seafire nd joshua panels to pixels matt draper burrito man 88 doug from for every kind of geek don swanson that guy brian mouth dork dallas meeks amazing spider fan a lock and az sass and jedi jesse 20 i want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews and a cannot wait to hear yours if you want to be part of the geeksplain mailbag please send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here just like our good brother the real deal himself brian real who wrote in hi eric hello i wanted to ask if there was ever a tv show from your past or just one in general that you've really enjoyed that you think would do well as a comic were it to make a comeback in that way my go-to is always the buzz light year of star command cartoon that used to air on disney channel i think it would do great as an anthology type comic at idw a la in the star wars or a la the star wars adventure series other than that just hope everything is going well with you take care and thanks best brian thank you very much for the email brian uh you made the right decision uh buzz Lightyear of star command is a perfect show that deserves a lot more recognition uh Lightyear would not be possible without buzz Lightyear of star command and that is 100 percent the one that i would pick um there are others specifically in animation that i think would be really cool um gravity falls i think there is a wealth of stories you could tell in that universe um over the garden wall we actually did a full episode of Over the Garden Wall for Geektober uh, last year, the year before. Uh, so go check that out if you are interested in that. But it's it's difficult because a lot of TV shows do get a fair amount of time. And if you are insanely lucky, your TV show will have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, I think the reason that Buzz Lightyear of Star Command would work is because that story never finished and there are tons of stories to tell in that universe i think some of the characters in there as well are just asking for a three to four issue mini um some of the best like some of my favorite memories of buzz lightyear uh really come from that show i mean the the movies were obviously great but for me, it was, you know, it was this show that I got to watch every single week when it was coming out. Um, I think another one, obviously, Firefly. There's a lot of, there might be a Firefly comic. I don't know for sure. But 
I think that's one that could really, uh, really benefit much in the same way as Buzz Lightyear, Star Command, or the Star Wars comics. Um, I think one that's been asking for it, and I don't know how they would tell the story or if it would even be good, would be something like, I mean, I don't know, like a Veronica Mars or Heroes would be really interesting. Because, I mean, Veronica Mars, you just do jessica jones again um it's it's interesting when you think about shows that could be brought back um but honestly i mean i i kind of like certain shows i think should be left alone i think there are shows that ended or were given somewhat of an ending or even some that were canceled before they should have uh that really could make a comeback but would probably be better served as just saying is what they are. Because for me, listen, I absolutely adore this stupid stars show called Spartacus. For all of its faults, all of its terrible follies, um, I love that show to death. And as much as I would love to see more content with it, and I think that you absolutely could dip into that world during you know the war that's going on in the later seasons, I like having it just be what it is. So... I, I think, honestly, the one that I would go to is, like you said, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. I think that's a comic that, especially with the release of Lightyear, would get not just a lot of, you know, hype and interest, but I think would be able to carry a lot of great stories, even if it was just for, like, a 12-issue maxi, or even if they just ordered 25 issues. Like, I think there are things that you could do with that book that would be uh, fun and really cool to revisit in that way and of course i'm always just going to hear patrick warburton's voice while (laughs) while watching that show so that's me and i i do agree with you that that i think that's the best choice so as always thank you to the real deal brian real for writing in and again if you want to be part of the geek explained mailbag send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it on the wednesday shows if you want to keep up to date with the podcast participate in polls that decide future episodes or get the first notifications when new stuff drops for the podcast feel free to follow us on the instagram and the twitter at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained p-o-d uh, more active on Twitter than Instagram, but if you want the incredible teasers for the Days of Thunder that we've been dropping every single Friday prior to the release of the episode, uh, videos by the incomparable Doug from the every For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel, subscribe to his channel, uh, that's going to be the place to find them, and also on Instagram as well. But you'll get them first on Twitter. Uh, I... Have been loving getting to talk all the stuff that's happening as I'm recording this. SDCC is going on right now. And because of the nature of how I'm recording this, I am not going to be able to talk about it until the following week. Not even this week. It's going to be the next week. So uh, you'll be able to get my thoughts on stuff on Twitter. And obviously, uh, I'll be talking about stuff as it comes out. And then finally, I just mentioned it. We have every single Friday the Geek Explain Book Club, where every single Friday, I, alongside my amazing friends, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Jason Aaron's Thor as part of the Days of Thunder. This week, we're going to be dropping uh, Session 8, Part 8, as we dive into Jason Aaron's new Thor run, issues 1 through 11 in the lead-up to the War of the Realms. So make sure you tune in for that. Catch up on the previous seven. Uh, The last 
session that we did was a giant-sized three-hour episode where we talked about the death of the mighty Thor. It was a wonderful episode, one of my favorite book club episodes we've ever done. So get caught up, listen to that episode, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast to get the first notification when we drop episode eight of the Days of Thunder this Friday. Be there or be square, not a circle. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Um, As I stated at the top of this episode, this week I am going to be in recovery for my surgery. So I'm hoping it goes well. I'm a little nervous about it because I I just don't like going under the knife. But it is something that is going to improve my quality of life substantially. So uh, send some well wishes, send some good vibes and healing thoughts my way this week if you can i would appreciate it i will see you right back here for the first episode of august august is already here my birth month we'll be celebrating all month as we go along for the podcast so tune in next week same geek time same geek channel but for now for the geek explained podcast i've been eric azana thank you so much for listening stay safe and we will see you next time